listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. We have had a month here at Clovis Hills. We've had hundreds of spiritual conversations. People have been sharing their testimony, whether it's in three seconds or 30 seconds or three minutes or 30 minutes. Uh, I want to encourage you as you continue to do that and you're having those conversations with people, uh, get pull the app out and just make, make a record of it. Like, oh, I had a conversation today and um, we're, ha- we're having hundreds of them and it's a beautiful thing. I had one yesterday. I, you know, we had our uh, trunk treats all weekend, right? We had one at Old Town, one at Tulare Street, and we had one at our Novato campus in Marin County. And I, uh, I drove up to Novato yesterday, and I got there early, so I thought, well, oh, I'm going to get my car washed because my trunk was looking kind of nasty. Um, so I got my car washed. I'm there at the car wash, and this dude's just chatting me up. I mean, he's just talking a ton. And I'm like, okay. And I'm just listening to him. He's a local. He's an Uber driver and he's getting his van, you know, all detailed. And he's just telling me about his previous career that he retired from. And now it's just kind of a side hustle as an Uber driver. He's like, not that I need the money. He goes, to be honest, I'm just an extreme extrovert. And I just like partying with people. It's fun. And I'm like, that's cool, man. You sound like a really fun Uber driver. He's like, oh, we have a blast, man. I'm waiting for my first road trip. I want someone to hire an Uber to take him to San Diego because I'll do it. You know, he's just all in. So, you know, he's just chatting me up and I'm just listening. And then, um, and then, he, then he asked the question, what do you do for a living? Now, mind you, I'm in Marin County. It's one of the most secular places in America. And I, you know, and I, you, you got to tread lightly with the, pa- with the P word, pastor. You know, because sometimes you tell people you're a pastor, they look at you like you're a cannibal and you're really hungry. So in my head, I'm, I'm like going through, okay, what do I tell them? What do I tell them? Do I tell them like, I lead a spiritual community? I mean, you know, I could... Marin County, they're like, yeah, man. But I just say, you know what? Just rip the Band-Aid off. Tell them. So I go, oh, well, I'm a pastor. And, you know, we're starting a church here in Novato next year, and I'm up here to, to you know, do some, do some work on that. And his eyes got giant, like, you know, and he's wearing his mask, and he just looks like, oh, my gosh, he is a cannibal, and he is hungry. And I, you know, and I just kind of smile and I go, yeah, I never thought I'd be a pastor either, man. And then he pulls his mask down and he goes, when did you get saved? And I was like, man, I don't even remember the date today, let alone like, you know, I, 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 today's a Saturday, I I think. I go, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was a little kid and then you know, did it a bunch of times. And then I became, as a teenager, it really made sense to me. And the lights kind of came on when I was about 17. And he just looked freaked out. And then he just kind of pulled his mask down again. He goes, November 5th, 1991. Jesus changed my life. He goes, I was a terrible person. I was like, yeah, nice, nice, man. So then I... I said, dude, that's awesome. Do you go to church here in town? Because he was local. He was talking about being local. And then he looked like, because I haven't been to church in years. And I go, well, 
you're coming to my church now, bro. Come on. <laughs> you know? So I don't know if he's there this morning watching, but if he is, good morning. What's up, brother? Hope you had a good night last night. If not, I know that God is, 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 is wor working on him. And I pulled out my phone. I said, I just had a spiritual conversation. If you're here today watching, bro, get the Clovis Hills app and record that you shared your testimony with me. That's a spiritual conversation too. So anyways, we'll double dip on that one. But this is just being the church. People serving at trunk or treats. You know, sometimes you think like, what's giving out candy? What does that have to do with Jesus? Here's what I know. People come to Christ in trial, trauma, and transition. Those are three phases where they decide like, maybe I need God. And if they've come on our campuses and they've had a good experience and they said, these people aren't that weird. Notice I said that weird. When God comes knocking, they're gonna look to Clovis Hills because we've been loving on them, right? So it's not just one trunk or treat, it's a trunk or treat, it's a, it's a food giveaway, it's a Christmas Eve service, it's an Easter service, it's an egg drop from a helicopter, it's a, you know, a, a heavy metal guitar player coming and giving his, all those things add up and when God comes calling in a trial, a trauma, a transition, and someone says, maybe I need God, they're gonna look to us and we're gonna give them the good news. And you guys are going to be the church wherever you go. You know, we have a guy in our church. He's uh, in our alpha male group, the AMP, AMP program on Wednesday nights. And he just kind of on his own, on his own dime, he uh, printed about 50 of these sweatshirts that he, he's giving to the homeless all, all over town. Right? It's pretty cool. But then what happened is like, he, he's a pretty good looking dude and he's wearing one and everyone's like, I want to buy one of those. So he came to me, he's like, hey, is it? like bad if I like sell them for a lot of money and then the proceeds go to buy like three sweatshirts for the homeless and I'm like it is not bad at all my friend sell it for a hundred bucks okay whatever you want to do it's just a dude being the church he didn't run it by the graphics program or department of the church he just is being the church and see if you follow Jesus long enough in your life there's going to be moments where God calls you to do something. Or maybe he doesn't call you to, to do something, but to experience something. Or to be in a place where you just knew God was there. And we have these moments, and if you don't embrace those moments, you miss them. You, they don't come back. I remember as a young man, I was 20 years old, and I, I did a, a missions trip to Eastern Europe after communism fell. And it was this beautiful trip. It was awesome. All tons of people coming to Jesus. Back then, like Americans were cool. And if you just wore like a pair of jeans, they'd come and be like, oh my gosh, you're American. I love you. You know, and you could tell them about Jesus and they'd all come to Christ because they had atheism for, you know, 50 years in their country. So we were doing that. And then we had a, a couple vacation days where we weren't doing mission stuff. And we went to Switzerland and we went to this valley called Lauterbrunnen. And in Lauterburn, and it, I mean, there's only one other place on the planet that rivals it in beauty. And it, they're, they're very similar. It's the valley floor in Yosemite. And Lauterburn are all these sheer, it's a valley with all these sheer cliffs like Yosemite. There's about 13 waterfalls shooting off. There's all these incredible grass hills. They're incredibly steep. They go for miles up to the sheer cliff and then they, then they go up. Cows grazing, you know, because they have holes in them. That's how they have, make Swiss cheese. But um, it's just stunning. And at the end of the valley, on the east side of the valley, is this giant ice glacier. 
And I remember my friends woke me up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm like, what are we doing? They're like, you just come, trust us. It's insane. We were here yesterday. So I get up and we go at 4.30 in the morning and we hike over. We sit in the valley and we're, it's dark still and we're kind of pointed towards this glacier. And then, you know, dawn comes and you can see the glacier. And, you know, and then the sun begins to rise. You can see it behind the glacier. And this guy's like, you gotta wait for it. Don't leave. You gotta see this. And all of a sudden the sun comes up and you see it shining off the glacier. And then there's this moment. It was like a movie, like a rainbow just shot across the valley. The sun hit the ice on the glacier, the melting ice on the glacier. And it shot across the valley. The glacier's melted glacier creates a river down the middle of the valley. There's all of these rainbows. I expected like a unicorn to come and like, would you like a ride, sir? You know, it was crazy. It was like a Skittles commercial. So then... They're like, let, let's, let's, let's go on a hike. Because, you know, eventually the rainbow leaves and, and, you know, and we're, you know, we're dudes, so we can't sit still very long. And we go on a hike and we have no GPS. And, you know, 20-year-old guys are like, we'll just figure it out, right? You know, so we just go. We have no water. We have no food. And we go on this hike and we're climbing. And we ended up, I don't know how we got there, but we ended up like kind of on this like this trail that took us to a cliff and we're on this ledge of this cliff and we're walking like this across this cliff and it gets we, we get across it and it was frightening but we get to this grass hill and it, it felt like and I don't know how long it was but it felt like it was about two miles long just down and we're standing there and uh my buddy JT is a basketball player from Detroit and he just goes you only live once baby and he jumps and he lands on his butt on the grass and just starts sliding down the hill, down the wet grass. And we're like, yeah, let's go, you know, kind of thing. So I'm next. I just go, boom, and I jump. And we're sliding down this hill, and it's amazing for about 100 yards. <laughs> and then I can't stop. And now I'm rolling. And I'm somersaulting and I'm grabbing at grass. I'm grabbing anything. I'm hitting my head on things. And we roll and roll and roll and roll. And we finally make it to the bottom of this hill. And I am bruised. My face is scratched up. All of us, all five of us, the bottom of our shorts were completely ripped off. We had to walk through this Swiss village with like... Some of us, the chonies were gone. We had to tie our shirt around our waist. And it was, it was one of those moments. See, you have them in your life. Sometimes they're transcendent, like the rainbow. Sometimes they're, they're just an adrenal rush. Sometimes, you know, how, how many of you remember, those of you that have been married, you remember your wedding day, right? Some of you do. Ladies, I need to help you understand that like the experience for the groom is far different than yours. See, like you're getting ready, you're, you know, you've got all these women attending to you, getting you perfect. And I, you know, I'm, I, I do a lot of weddings as a pastor, so I'm standing up there with this poor dude and everyone is just staring at him. And sometimes you ladies take your time back there. Everything's gotta be perfect. And it just means that everyone's staring at this poor dude for like, it feels like hours. It might be, you know, an extra minute or two, but it feels like hours. And he's sweating, and I always try and make jokes with him because, you know, I know how nervous they get. And then um, it, it's a crazy thing, though. 
especially if it's in a church. I, I miss doing weddings in a church building, like in a traditional church chapel, like, like New Hope here in town. Because if you're standing there and he's there at the altar and all of a sudden the doors open and everyone stands up and I always love looking at his face because here's what happens. The doors fling open, everyone stands and this creature he has never seen before. Incredible. She comes walking down the aisle and their face is amazing. And even, here's what I found as a pastor, even the staunchest of atheists in that moment hear the voice of God. Because when that door opens and the creature comes walking down the aisle, he hears the voice of God say, too late, sucker. They've spent way too much on this thing for you to back out now. But these are moments in your life. And if you don't step into them, you forget them, you miss them, you miss a, a, a moment that God had for you in your history. So I want to read to you today from the book of Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And um, it's about a disciple named Philip. And he meets an Ethiopian eunuch on the road. And they have this, one of those moments, they have that encounter. And I want to read it to you. So if you're able to, I'd love it if you can stand in honor of God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as the lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please. Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with a very, that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. And they traveled along the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both the Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when Philip and the eunuch went out of the water and Philip baptized him, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So to give you a little background on this passage so you understand kind of the context of it is, you know, um, this 
Ethiopian. Now, there, there is a whole sect of Ethiopian Jews, of, of African Jews that come from Ethiopia. But um, what most believe is this Ethiopian eunuch was not an African Jew. Um, they also had people that were Gentiles, non-Jews, um, that would come to the temple in Israel and worship the God of Israel. And what the Bible called them were God-fearing Gentiles. So God-fearing Gentiles would come and they believed in the God of Israel. They believed in, in, in who he was, that he was the one true God and they would come and worship him. And many believe this is who this eunuch, he was a God-fearing Gentile. Now what we know, right, is he was a servant of the, of, of the uh, Ethiopian queen and also he was rich. The reason we know he is rich is A, he had a chariot and B, he was reading from the book of Isaiah. See, nowadays we have access to 89 to 120 English translations of the Bible on the YouVersion app or the Clovis Hills app, right? And, and we, we can read the Bible whenever we want. It's free, it's easy to get to. But back then to own a scroll from a prophet or to own the scroll from the Torah meant you were of incredible means. You had a lot of money to get that. And then also, you also knew how to read. Not only just read, but you could read in either Hebrew or you could read in Greek. And this Ethiopian is of incredible means and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip is there and he sees him reading the book of Isaiah and the, the spirit kind of nudges him to go talk to him. Now this eunuch's reading Isaiah and he doesn't understand it. Now I want us to be honest right now. What, wherever you're watching, whether you're in a, at a campus right now or you're in the venue or you're in this room, let's all be honest. How many times have you ever opened the Bible? Anyone here ever opened the Bible, tried to read a passage and you're like, what in the world is this thing trying to say? Show of hands. Okay, we're all in good company. Me too. There's about five or six Bible scholars in the room that they've got it. But the rest of us, it's just some things we don't understand. You know, when I was in the band, every, it, it was really weird. Like, like you're in a Christian punk band. Like, you know, people would ask us to sign our CD or whatever. Sometimes people would bring us their Bible. They'd be like, will you autograph my Bible? Which I always thought was weird. Like, why am I signing your Bible? But so I would sign it. And then I usually would put like a weird Bible verse just to like trip them out. So I would always sign my name and I'd put Isaiah 4.1. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man. <laughs> they will say, we'll eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. You know, and they, people come back and be like, what is that verse about? And I'd be like, I don't know. Sounds awesome. But anyway, so I don't know what it's about. But he's reading it and he doesn't know what it says. And sometimes we need someone to explain it. Someone who's been further down the road. Someone that's, that's walked with Jesus longer than us. And this is what Philip does. And he tells him the good news of the gospel. And what happens is as they're going along, they see some water. And the eunuch mentions it. Philip doesn't even think about it. The eunuch says, look, there's some water. Why, why not me? Why not now? Let baptize me. So Philip and, and the eunuch crawl down. They get in the water and Philip baptizes them. And I, I want you to understand something. Baptism is this tradition that as Christians, we have been doing for 2,000 years. And everyone who steps into the waters of baptism, it's almost like you've entered into this club of people from Mother Teresa to Billy Graham to Dave Love to, you know, on and on and on. 
all of these saints, I, Dave gets mad at me when I do that because he doesn't want me to equate them, but I, I equate Dave with them. But anyways, the, the, the point I make is you're entering into it. And then sometimes what happens though is when people get baptized in church, um, we get kind of, because it happens a lot at our Hills family. We get kind of desensitized to it. And we're like, yay, that's awesome. And I was reminded today, we were in prayer with the prayer team. And um, someone leading the prayer team this morning read from Psalms uh, 51, Psalm 51. And, um, and they didn't read this verse, but I, I was not paying attention. I kept reading as he was talking. Sorry, Paul. And there, there's, there's a verse in Psalm 51 where it says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And, and it dawned on me, that, that's what should be happening every time we see someone come forward to get a, to get a light bulb and declare that Jesus is their, is their Lord, right? That it, it brings us back to the moment when we accepted Jesus. That every time someone goes under in a baptismal, that it brings us back to the, to the moment we decided to tell the world we belong to Jesus. And it, restore, restore, it should restore to us the joy of that salvation. And if you don't have the joy of that salvation, you might want to check your heart. See, so why, why should someone get baptized? That's the question. Like, what's the point? Well, I have an outline. I'm going to go through it pretty quick right here. Number one is this. Jesus commanded it. He told us to. Sometimes it's that easy. Look, he said in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he said, therefore go into the world and make, and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything as I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. So Jesus said, go baptize people. Um, you, you know, and everywhere we find in scripture, it was always someone who is making the decision to follow Jesus. Now, if you were baptized as a baby, that's a beautiful thing. They were christening you. They were dedicating you to God. But what the Bible has called you is that next step is that you tell the world you belong to Jesus. And, and I, I want to let you in on a little secret because sometimes people are like, oh, I couldn't get baptized. I'd be so embarrassed. That'd be so crazy. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could ever do that in front of people. Like, I want you to understand something. If you can't get wet in front of some people, I'm gonna, let, I'm gonna let you in a little secret. Jesus is gonna call you, if you follow him, to do way harder things than that. That's actually the easiest part. The, the receiving, the believing, and then just getting wet. And he's gonna call you to way harder things. And trust me, if you can't do that one, what do you think he's gonna do when he calls you to stand up for your faith somewhere? So what's the point of baptism? Well, the point of it is, guys, it's a symbol. It's a ritual. It's something, it's a marker in your life. It's a moment in your life where you decided to tell the world, I'm with Jesus. See, if you look in Romans chapter um, 6, 3 through 4, you're going to find, um, find it says, Paul says this. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too may live a new life. 
So whenever we baptize someone at Clovis Hills, I love this. I didn't create this tradition. Um, I just, I caught it when I started coming here is when people go underwater, they always say buried with Christ in baptism. There's a reason most baptismals look like coffins. Now this is a big coffin. It's like a party coffin for lots of people, right? Because the symbol of baptism is you are taking the old you and you're telling the world, the old me, I'm putting it under. I'm killing it, I'm drowning it, I'm burying it, and I'm coming up symbolically the new person in Christ, the person Jesus is gonna make me to be. The water's not holy, it's tap water. It doesn't make you any better. The thing that makes you holy is what Jesus did for you on the cross. Your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So, so, so th this, is, this is why we do it. And I, I want you to understand something. I, I don't have a better illustration for it. So I'm just going to use the same illustration every time I teach on baptism. But I always like in baptism, it's like my wedding ring. If I take this wedding ring off, does it mean I'm on the market now? No. Thank you, Kelly. My wife's like, no! I will cut you! Listen. This is a symbol of a decision that we made to each other and God. And there were a bunch of people at the ceremony that cheered us on, that wanted to hold us accountable to it. And that's what baptism is. It's the wedding. It's saying, I'm with Jesus now. There's no going back. It's the coming out party. I'm with Jesus. There's no going back. You know, T.S. Eliot was um, one of the 20th century's greatest poets and writers. And he belonged to this group called the, um, gosh, what were they called? The Bloomsbury Group. And it was a group of the, the most intellectual elite of all of Europe. And as an adult, he's part of this group. He's with all these intellectuals. They, you know, he's revered as this writer and this poet. He had an encounter with God and he became a follower of Jesus and he was baptized as an adult. And the Bloomsbury group rejected him. As a matter of fact, Virginia Woolf, another uh, brilliant writer, wrote this about T.S. Eliot. I want you to understand something. When you go to follow Jesus, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. There will be people that reject you. I have to let you know, we baptized someone this year that once their family finds out that they've been baptized, they will be kicked out of their family. Some people will lose jobs. Some people, I mean, th this is the world we live in nowadays. To publicly declare that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, and people will talk about you. Be like, oh, she's the religious one. It'll get awkward at Thanksgiving. There'll be the, every holiday. You can pray since you're so churchy. It just, it gets that way. But listen, T.S. Eliot. Virginia Woolf wrote this to the Bloom, Bloomsbury group. She said, I have the most shameful and distressing interview with Tom Elliott, who may be called dead to us from this day forward. He's become a believer in God and immortality, and he goes to church. I was shocked. A corpse would seem more credible than he is. 
I mean, there's something obscene in a living person sitting by the fire and believing in God. You know, it's funny, if I would have read that 20, 30 years ago, we would have all been like, wow, they're crazy over there. And now we're like, oh yeah, welcome to the 21st century in America. But here's what I want you to understand about your baptism. See, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. One of the reasons we create these, these moments in, in people's lives that they can, when they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they can get a bulb. They can screw it into the welcome home sign. Is so that they have these markers, these moments where they did something courageous. They did something brave. They st- stood up in front of a group of people and said, no, I'm, I'm gonna go with Jesus now. I'm gonna trust in what he did on the cross for me. The reason we, we, we Christians have done baptism for 2000 years is so that Christians could stand up in public and say, no, I'm burying the old me. I'm going with Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm gonna do it perfectly. As a matter of fact, I'll probably screw up along the way. But I love this. Um, it says in, in Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12, Paul said this to Timothy. He said, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called when you made your good confession. And when you make that public confession, something happens. There's other people in the room that remember it and they hold you to it. I was talking with Pastor Derek. He's our youth pastor here at the North Campus, our family pastor. And he was telling me a story about, you know, in, in his 20s, he was out working on his testimony. And he's, you know, immersed in alcoholism. And he said, one night we were super wasted and we were getting high, high, a bunch of us. And there was this dude that I was getting high with. And he goes, you remember, man, we used to go to youth group together. And now we're getting high together. And he said, yeah, man, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then he goes, you know, it's funny, Derek, all of us. We thought for sure you were gonna be a pastor, man. Isn't that crazy? And Derek went, oh no. He went from high as a kite to stone cold sober in a moment. And he knew God was calling him home. See, what had happened is in many ways, he had confessed Christ as his Lord. And when he went off and went astray, there was someone God was using to call him back home to it. And today, hundreds, if not thousands of students have been affected by this guy. So here's the question. And I'm not gonna be like A.B. Vines and go 48 minutes. I'm gonna wrap this up. Here's the question for you right now. If you've never been baptized, why not now? Look what, the, look what the Ethiopian said to Philip. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? What can get in my way? Let's do this. Why not me? Why not now? And Philip didn't go, well, you need to do a baptism class and you, you, know, you gotta make sure you get the right shirt. Listen, if you wanna come and you wanna get baptized in your clothes, I'll get in with you. We'll do it in my clothes. I'll go home wet too. It's not a big deal. We'll give you a towel. We'll give you shirts, all of that. 
Some of you though, I, I want you to consider this first. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. Some of you this morning, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never made the confession, but you've never even received him. And I wanna encourage you to do something this morning. The first step is to put your faith in Jesus. And, and not that you're gonna be this better person and you're gonna live perfectly and you're not gonna sin anymore. The, the beauty of the gospel is God knew you were gonna sin. He knew you were gonna sin a, a good portion of your life. And that's why he sent Jesus to die. Jesus lived the perfect life for you. And the Bible says that those who believed in him, they are forgiven. They have eternal life. And if you were to die today, if you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he said, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say to him? But if you put your faith in Jesus, you can say, well, I don't deserve heaven, but because of what Jesus did. And it just takes inviting him into your heart to forgive your sins. So we're gonna, we're gonna pray in a moment. And I'm gonna invite you to do something, something brave afterwards. And the, your, your campus pastors will do the same thing. They're gonna do baptisms. They may call you to, to, to believe or to notif tell, tell the world, be brave, whatever it is they're doing. But we're gonna pray right now. And if you've never received Jesus before, that's the first step. Before you get in the water, that's just water. That's the symbol. The real thing is when you receive him. So let's bow our heads and let's pray.